Welcome to the Seattle Sports Union podcast. We are recording tonight from the beautiful Funko Field in Everett. We're here to watch the Everett Aquas Hawks play the Vancouver Canadians. Uh, we have a special guest tonight. His name is Jason Churchill from Prospect Insider. And we got Matthew Page. He's not going to be talking, but he's our sound guy. So the, the, the Oregon Duck, we, we give him a lot of crap for being an Oregon Duck. So how you doing, Jason? I'm good. Good to be here, Brian. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it. Um, do you mind telling our our fans a little bit about who is Jason Churchill? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Who is Jason? <laughs> who do you think he is? Um, really just a baseball junkie. I think you know that by reading anything I've written, uh, following me on Twitter. I watch a lot of baseball. Uh, I got into the like the draft and the player development and the scouting side of it very, very early on back in 03 um, because it was something th – th there was something missing there elsewhere. There was the Baseball America, but that was it. There weren't like, you know, 15 other outlets also covering the same thing. So I thought, hey, I, I want to get into this. I want to learn as much as I can about this. And, and I think, at least in the baseball world, that's kind of who I've become, somebody who pays attention to that sort of thing. Uh, I would say 75% of my conversations with people in the game of baseball are about uh, players specifically instead of trying to get information about breaking news and things like that. It's, hey, did you see Logan Gilbert his last time out? What did you think? Um, stuff like that. So uh, that I, I think anybody who's listening to this, um, it, it, it's about baseball. And, and within the game of baseball, that's kind of who I've become and what I've been known for. Anytime the draft comes up or – there's a trade for an unknown player because he's a prospect or uh, or a guy like Toro. I even had to go chasing down information on Toro. But guys like that, that's where somebody might look to me for for answers. But sometimes I, I got to go look for answers as well. So I, I think that's kind of who I am. Uh, I think most people follow me on Twitter and get most of my stuff there. But uh, the website's been alive since 06. The podcast is relatively new since uh, 17. Um but that's kind of it. I, I like all aspects of baseball. I, I see a lot of high school games. I mean, the pandemic has kind of kicked that to the curb a little bit the last uh, the last two springs. But um, I usually end up seeing more high school and college games than pro games um, just because the college games and the high school games are crammed. But uh, but th that's me. Um, you know, I love to talk about baseball. That's that's how, you know, you and I ran into each other. Um, I think I sat right in front of you, you did, yep. uh, a couple of years back uh, right here at Funko Field. I'm, I'm just getting used to the Funko Field thing, by the way. <laughs> On the way here, I wanted to make sure I had maps up, and I said, uh, take me to Everett Memorial Stadium. And I said, <laughs> cool, we'll take you to Funko Field. So. Um, but I've been coming here to Everett, Brian, for since 03. Uh, I saw Felix's first start. You know, uh, in June of 04, he was 17 years old and just turned 17. Um, and I kind of fell in love with it after seeing something like that, you know. You go to enough minor league games and you see these guys, even though it's a small percentage, you see these guys get to the big leagues, you, it'll hook you, man. It'll. Yeah. I, I'm sure that's happened to you too. Absolutely. It'll hook you and you'll never stop doing this now. You mm -hmm. know, that, that's kind of what it is. So uh, that's me, just kind of a junkie who got hooked on, on that exactly. Okay. How do you – Balance all your time. I mean, you got the podcast, you got your letter, you got your social media, you got prospect prospectinsider.com, you got your day job. You still have your day job? Yeah, yeah, I do. That, that's another really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that either, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> it, you know what's, uh, I think the most difficult part of it is being consistent with it. I, I think finding time 
is easy. But then for me, I want to cram it all in. I'm like, all right, I got three hours here before I know I'm going to be exhausted and I need to go to sleep. What can I what can I cram it? Can I record another episode? Can I get another newsletter ready? Can I write another story? What's on my mind? And I think over the years I've learned to um, I've learned to tell myself no a little bit. Uh, there was a time where I was writing every day, um, every single day something was something new was at Prospect Insider, and the the payoff there you learn that the payoff's not there. Like you do it every day, people start expecting it every day, and if you think that's a payoff. Boy, do I have the job in journalism <laughs> for you. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's funny. Uh, when I first got into this, I'm not a formally trained writer at all. I learned everything I know about writing and, and journalism from, from Joe Kaiser, a buddy of mine who okay. uh, went to journalism school. Uh, and uh, learned. He's a UW grad, uh, and he's really good at all the technical stuff, and that's what I needed. I had all the baseball I needed, needed all the technical stuff, and he still helps, uh, and he's over at ESPN now. But um, it, managing the time has been the, you know, 47 years old, and I've been doing this since, you know, I, I guess since 27, 28. And it's taken me, it took me most of that time to really get a hold of, like saying, it's okay if you don't record tonight. It's okay if you don't write tonight. Um, I think that's been the biggest thing. But, yeah, I think I, I get this. I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store. Like, Mom, can I get the Snickers bar? Sure. Mom, can I eat the <laughs> Snickers bar? Yes. Cool. I've eaten the Snickers bar. Now can I have a Milky Way or can I go get that sucker? Can I have some bubble gum? That's kind of me late at night when my brain is just running a million miles an hour. And there are times where I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to get this this podcast episode in. And then I do it. And then afterward, I'm like, ooh, I could write a story. It's only 1230. (laughs) And I think what helps is that my day job is pretty flexible. I have a lot of meetings during the day. Very little that I absolutely have to do during the day outside of that. And that gives me the, the freedom at night after, you know, like 1130 midnight to do what I want. So most nights I am up till three, four in the morning thinking about baseball, writing about baseball, writing outlines, making notes, uh, telling Luke that he's better than I am at everything, uh, things like that. But uh, that's why, you know, you see me so yep. late, you know, uh, it's just kind of a thing, kind of an insomniac and, and baseball's the reason. So, okay. Yeah. So really, to answer your question, I don't manage the time really. <laughs> I, you know, I just do when I when I have the energy and the time to do it, and when I when I don't, I have to say no. Then I just do. Okay, fair enough. If that makes sense, it does make sense. <laughs> not I'm probably not helping anybody out there listening. Thinking, wait a second, you don't have like this regiment? No, I don't. I absolutely do not. Uh, you ever get a vacation or see, get to see any of your family or? Uh, yeah, that's a good question too. Uh, vacations are few and far between but i will be taking one uh in about three weeks um otherwise not really uh my family all lives in the area uh my parents live down in uh down in olympia and i will take trips down there but uh uh, them being close enough means i don't need to take like actual vacations to do it i just go on a saturday and and do that sort of thing so yeah um next month i'm actually thinking about relocating Okay. So uh, I'm going to take a trip to uh, uh, to a bunch of places, take about a 17, 18-day road trip, and spend the entire month of September outside of the state of Washington. So uh, that'll be fun just to get away. I'll, I will do some work, um, but there will be a lot of down days where there will be no podcast episodes, there will be no writing, there will be no newsletter. So it'll be a little bit of a dry month. What's going to be difficult, Brian, is if the Mariners somehow find their way back into this wild card race, how do I how do I shut it down? Oh, like, good point. <laughs> like you know, I, I know they're five back now, but 
you win two out of three against the Blue Jays and you kind of get back on track a little bit. The crowd gets back into it. You're playing at home. Like you get some momentum again. How am I going to be able to shut it down? I'm not. The answer is I'm not going to be able to do that. So uh, <laughs> I will take my equipment with me on the road. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. A lot of times, though, my my vacations are about baseball. It's like, you know, where do I want to go yeah. and who's playing? Like I ask that question all the time. You know, I've had uh, my wife will say, uh, uh, hey, we should uh, – we should, go, we should go visit the Cape. My aunt lives out there. Let's go do this. And I'll be like, ooh, if we go in August. <laughs> you know? Or she'll say, hey, let's drive there and, and take I-90 all the way out there. And I'll be like, ooh, there's like 11 minor league stadiums on the way to Boston. Uh, so there's always baseball somewhere stuck in my head. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Um, how, how is your office set up? I'm just curious. How do you keep track of you got a triple a you got a high a you got a double a you got the mariners all going i mean you have a bunch of tvs and a bunch of computers or yeah so uh so i have i have three laptops i don't use all three at once unless it's draft time i will use all three at draft time but i I usually have two laptops open on um i have an external monitor that i will use as well and a 55-inch TV in the office just planted right there. I usually put the most interesting game on the big TV and put all the minor league games on the smaller screens, but uh, uh, I've been doing a lot of mirroring uh, depending on who's pitching. Uh, so we get some, we'll get some good streams here in August and September with uh, that Arkansas rotation. So I'll be sliding them over to that big screen a little bit to have a little fun watching Williamson and Brash and, and Hancock and Kirby and, and Levi Stout. In, uh, in Arkansas but yeah it's not too crazy it's not too crazy as it sits right now with me not in it and using it there's just the big screen TV and the external monitor sitting there everything else okay. is kind of related to opening laptops and things like that so um, it, it's not too nuts but uh, uh, I used to have a buddy by the way who was uh, he called himself uh, eight, eight screen Andy and it was because oh, no. because for college football he's a, he's a gambler he's a better okay. for college football especially early in the year he will either go to Reno or Vegas and sit in a sports book for like two days doing college football and NFL, or he'll sit at home with his eight screens up, like seriously. And he will watch every screen. And you can ask him, "What's going on in this game? What's going on in this game? What's going on in this game? What's going?" He's got the screens numbered. So like, well, in, on screen eight over here, we got Ball State and Eastern Kentucky, and oh my goodness, you should see the linebacker. I mean, like it's crazy. It, mine isn't nearly that crazy. I think with baseball, you don't have to get quite that that nuts, yeah. um, especially being able to go back easily and watching games, you know, on replay. But uh, draft time, I get it going. You know, I get awesome. it going quite a bit. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Okay. My whiteboard is probably crazier than the screens. All the yeah. notes that I make and the lines that I draw. And I've even, uh, before the draft this year, my whiteboard ended up being too small. So uh, don't tell anybody. I drew on the wall, man. Uh-oh. I did. I drew on the wall. I was like, what am I going to do? I got this huge whiteboard. It's like this 94-inch whiteboard. And I ran out of room to write names and make notes. What am I going to do? So then I just moved six inches to my right, right outside. And I, I wrote on the wall. I don't know how to get it off. Uh-oh. I mean, I think I'll be able to get it off, yeah. but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get it off. And I'm afraid to try. It's been sitting there for two months now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid to try because if I don't, then i got to stress about it. So I'm going to leave it there until I absolutely need to do it. So it's not so bad. Right on. Um, I'll jump into the Everett Aqua Sox because you brought up Arkansas. But We've had Julio Rodriguez, we've had Austin Shenton, Brandon Williamson, Levi Stout, Matt Brash, Patrick Frick. You've said uh, several others. Mm-hmm. 
Is, is that rare to have a team this loaded with stars? It is. Uh, it really is. It, that many. I mean, sometimes you'll get three, four, maybe even five. But what were there, like nine? Yeah, at like, least. I mean, like ridiculous. And, and almost all of them are at Arkansas now, or, or all of them are at Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. Or, or in another organization, in the case of Carter Benz and, uh, and Austin Shen, of course. Um, it, it is really rare. It's fun to see. We've seen stacked, um, you know, affiliates in the Seattle system before, but nothing like this, nothing at all. And I, I kind of have this uh, conspiracy theory uh, about the Mariners organization and the Everett Aquasocks that the Mariners stacked this affiliate and purposely didn't help the Aquasocks get MILB TV set up. So people had to come here to do it. It's just a conspiracy yeah. theory. I have no insider. <laughs> but it would make some sense, would it yes, not? Yes, it would. And I got to respect them. If, if indeed they did that, and they'll never admit it, I got to respect <laughs> the Mariners for doing that, supporting their affiliate. There's, because there's been a lot of the last 15 years, there's been a lot of affiliates that just get, they get tired of being affiliated with a certain team because the team isn't competitive enough. Yeah. And even though it's about player development and about the big league club at the end of the day, if you don't win some – those affiliates, like, it runs dry, and people stop going to the game, and their attendance goes down. People don't buy the hats. They don't buy the jerseys. And so those affiliates want to go want to go elsewhere. That happened with the Clinton Club in okay. the Midwest League. And Seattle had to move on because Clinton was like, we have other things lined up. You know, we, we want to win a little bit. Um, but Seattle kind of did, uh, you know, maybe, conspiracy theory. They kind of <laughs> did the Aqua Sox like a double solid have all of our great prospects for like <laughs> a third to a half the season and we won't put in any cameras and you won't be able to there won't be any milb tv everybody will just have to come and buy a ticket and and, and come see the team so yeah. and, and that's been true me i ended up you know i watched them a little bit on the road but uh this league this uh the former northwest league isn't equipped very well as you know yeah. with uh with television for milb tv but um, i saw the club for four days in tri-cities um, which was a lot of fun, and I, I tend to do that every year. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, the Mariners were like, hey, let's take care of Everett. Let's do it. I do think we're going to get MILB TV in this ballpark for next year, though. I think I, hope I think so. all of the clubs are going to have that uh, in, in all of Meyer League Baseball. I think from, from low A on up, we're all, they're all going to have it. And, and the ones that already do, you're going to see some improvements to it. Uh, because if you watch that, the low A Modesto club, you get the center field camera, so you get a decent look at the pitcher. It's not dead center, but you get a decent look at the pitcher if you want to watch Sam Carlson or Adam Macko or Connor Phillips. They're, they're all still down there. Um, but you don't get a great look at really anything else. Noel V. Marte hits a gapper. You can't see where the ball went because there's no camera showing you okay. where the ball went. It's just it stays on the the batter, and then it catches him running up the first baseline. You don't know where the ball went. And you, and you don't get any looks at the defense. So there's some things that need to be improved in that way. And I, and I think we're going to start seeing some of those improvements over the offseason for next okay. year. I, I think Major League Baseball and all of its clubs see the value in that. Finally, after several years of everybody kind of begging for the opportunity to see these kids, you know, down on the farm on a regular basis, um, I, I think we're going to see every club uh, next year, low A all the way through triple A, have something and then the clubs that have something now have some semblance of improvements over what they have now whether it be quality or dip better camera angles more okay. camera angles things like that so uh, uh yeah major league baseball wants to invest in that and i mean come on like how much could it cost to toss yeah. in like i got a you want to yeah. here every you want to borrow my video camera just put it right out there in center field <laughs> like here i'll hold it for you like um it's not that hard right no. just to get something like nobody's asking for like hd 
zoom in. Don't get, we don't need graphics. We don't need you know transitions. We don't you know yep. we don't even really need to hear the play by play voice, do we? Like it'd be great. It, I like it. I like listening to Stephen Davis or King Glogley or Pat Dillon or whoever. But mm-hmm. do we need that? No, we, we don't need that. So if, if you have trouble hooking that up because technology is hard, well then fine. <laughs> just just show it show it to us. Everybody does their own anyway, right? Exactly. You know, swung on and belted kind of a thing. So yep. we don't really need it. So <laughs> that'll be a fun thing. And it's been one of the uh, one of the cooler things about. Uh, about the movement of, of minor league baseball kind of up the, the ladder a little bit. Okay. It's been slow, but there has been movement. People are interested in it more in major league baseball, you know, a little bit more interested in showing it to us. So that should be fun. That's exciting. I love to hear that. You you brought up Martes, and that was one of my questions. Is he going to be called up here before the season's end, do you think? And another another great question. Uh, I, I, would, I would think yes. I would lean yes. Um, but it's more like 51, 49, okay. you know, uh, it, when you look at what happened last year and, and how they've handled their pitchers and how they've handled a lot of their young players, um, it, because everybody wants to compare, and I've done this too. Everybody wants to compare Marte to Julio Rodriguez and they could take a very, very similar path. And, it, you know, with about what, three weeks left, a couple of years back, Julio went from West Virginia to Modesto and lit the world on fire. Yep. Everybody thought he was the right hand of Barry Bonds. And so we're thinking kind of, hey, Marte, maybe he could take a, a very similar route, you know, up the ladder. And, and while that's true, they didn't play last year. There just wasn't a whole lot going on. And we've even heard from players that have admitted, hey, you know what, the, the alternate site, which Marte was a part of, was great to have. But it was nothing like being able to play games, not for hitters, not for pitchers, not for fielding, nothing like absolutely nothing. It, it, it's like having batting cages and having a play, a mound to throw at if you're back home. Like that was pretty much like the equivalent. It was nice to have something, but it, nothing like games. You can't replace playing games. So while I would be slightly surprised if we didn't see Marte here in September sometime, I wouldn't be surprised if they just let him finish the season out in Modesto as well. Okay. I mean, that neither one would. Uh, to be honest with you, I've heard from scouts that say uh, uh, Marte in one way is ahead of Julio Rodriguez, and in another way he's behind him. And the way that he's ahead of Rodriguez is uh, getting to his power uh, in pitcher's counts. That was something that Julio was just really aggressive early. He would yeah, just smash fastballs, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Marte is actually hitting for power, doubles and home runs, on one-two counts and two-two counts. And that might suggest that his hit tool is a little bit more mature than Julio's at the same, you know, at the same point in their, their season comparing Julio's 2019 and, and Marte's 2021, even though they're not exactly the same age. Um, but in the way where Julio had an advantage is um, it's easier for Julio with his swing to hit a ball to right center field. Marte has to... Uh, he has to get a pitch that's middle away or away. He has to kind of be looking that way. So there's some, some you know, some some good and, and some, I don't want to say bad, but some ways where Julio, uh, Noel V is ahead of Julio and some ways where he's behind him. So it'd be interesting to see if they do it, if they promote Noel V to uh, Everett here and when, and if they don't, what their reason for that is at, at the end of the day, because we're certainly going to hear from Jerry DePoto on it. 
Uh, Jerry likes to talk, which is one of the best things about Jerry DePoto. (laughs) And he's pretty transparent as much as he can be about things, which isn't something you you get from general managers very often. It's certainly not something we've, you know, seen from GMs, you know, in Seattle. I thought Bill Bavese was fairly transparent, but DePoto even blows him away in terms of willing to talk about the process, willing to talk about what they think of players, willing to talk about – Hey, where do you see Noel V. Marte next year? Like, he'll answer that question instead of, you know, GM speak. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if, if they decide just to leave Marte in Modesto, um, what their reason for that actually is. I don't think three weeks up here can hurt him. Exactly. And, and I think that's the conclusion I come to, or a month even. Yeah. You know, I don't think he can hurt him. I think he would come up here looking at the pitching in the rest of the league, looking at the rest of the roster. He knows a couple of players here. LeBron, he just spent a, you know, most of the year with Labrada, who's here now. Um, He's a pretty mature kid, considering the fact that he won't be 20 until, what, October? October, I I think he'll handle it fine. And in a small sample like that, if he comes up here for 24 games or whatever it is and hits 219, so what, right? Like, you're not really worried about that much. You know, we've seen kids do that, and they'll come back, and he'll probably start the year here, you know, next year anyway, regardless of whether or not he comes here in 2021. So getting his feet wet here, I think there are more advantages than there are potential disadvantages. So – Again, that's why I lean like 51, 49. But, Makes sense. Uh, but after that, yeah, it's it's difficult to predict. Um, because to be honest with you, I'm kind of – other than the fact that Hancock and Kirby's promotions were pushed back by having to sit out, and, you know, fatigue and a little bit of soreness, um, I, it, it's weird that Stout took as long as he did. But Williamson was just immediately um, – now, I understand why Williamson before Stout, but why Williamson like two months before Stout? That yeah. I don't get. Um, these are these are questions, by the way, that I will be feeding Mr. Aaron Goldsmith. Okay. In, in hopes that he asks Jerry DePoto on the Wheelhouse podcast. Okay. Um, Aaron doesn't really listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, hey, have you asked him about this? No. We <laughs> we asked him about this? Uh, no. <laughs> um but uh, that, that'll be interesting. It'll be really interesting to hear Jerry talk about the farm system over the winter in, in a lot of ways because they hung on to everybody at the trade deadline yeah, for the most did. part. Other than Shenton, they held on to anybody who, was, who had any sort of a chance to play regularly in their system. And uh, uh, it'll be interesting to hear some of those conversations over the winter. I'm sure we'll get those, too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, oh, you brought up Williamson. I was going to ask you about some of the players, but everybody talks about George Kirby and Hancock, but – Williamson, do you see him making majors down the road? And is he a second starter, fourth starter? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think I think the uh, the, the median projection for him would probably be number four starter, but good number four starter, okay. like a Marco Gonzalez quality starter, okay. who sometimes looks like a three. And even you know, I mean, if you're listening to this after Thursday's game, you're thinking, whoa, that's that's a guy who looked like a one or a two. Yeah, I think that'll happen with Williamson. Obviously, he's a different guy than uh, than Gonzalez. But I think with Williamson right now, the uh, the questions are mostly about his delivery. Uh, can he hold it together? Can he make some adjustments so he can throw strikes uh, more consistently, more often, and get a little bit more out of the fastball? We've seen him up to 97 miles an hour in short stints, but as a starter, especially since he's been sent to Arkansas, he's mostly been 91 and 93, touching 94, 95. Okay. So he's not sitting in the mid-90s like Matt Brash is. Uh, Brash, by the way, last week, and I'm sure we'll get to him, but – uh, either last start or two starts ago, a scout told me he threw 23 consecutive fastballs at 96 miles an hour Holy or higher. Moly. So, wow. yeah, Williamson's not quite there, but he hides the ball pretty well, gets some deception. Uh, down here in, in, in A ball, he was getting guys out 
a lot with the fastball. And while he has the curveball and the slider's improved and, and he does have a changeup, um, he was getting to two strikes or blowing guys away with the fastball, just throwing 94 up in the zone. Uh, he's going to have to get better with the secondaries, a little bit better with the uh, – with the control and command, and okay. I think they're—he's a big guy, obviously six six, you know, two twenty. Uh, it takes a little longer sometimes to make mechanical adjustments when when you're that that big. But he, he's also not James Paxton. James Paxton, six five, big guy, not a great athlete. So it takes him a while. I mean, he's yeah. he's a tortoise when it comes, and that's just because he's not super athletic. Randy Johnson made adjustments in ten seconds. Athletic, yeah. very athletic. You think of it, even when he was 40-something pitching, you're like, hey, he's tall and lanky, but <laughs> yeah. it's pretty athletic delivery, especially exactly. for a guy in his 40s. That's not Paxton, but Williamson, a lot more athletic. And you think, you know, moving up the ladder, you know, th- there's a starter there. Long-term in this organization, he might be a reliever just because there's no room for him. So if he ends up in the bullpen, which he has a chance to be a very, very good reliever, maybe sitting 95 to 100 um, with a pretty good curveball and a pretty good slider. Um, but he can start. I, I think ultimately he, he will have opportunities to start uh, at the big league level. Um, so he, he's fun and interesting. And I think, I think from day one you can see the writing on the wall that he was going to be the first guy up here. He was throwing the most strikes. Uh, he wasn't being challenged that much down here. They needed to get him out of here, and, and they did. Um, so I completely understand. I actually – I think I predicted Williamson would be the first one out of here just because of that. But now that we're in double A, now that all these guys are in double A, we're going to start seeing those other guys separate themselves from even Williamson a little bit. Okay. I was going to talk about Matt Brash. So does he have an opportunity to be a starter one day? Yeah, I, I think he does, which to me is the story of the year on the farm system, you know, down on the farm for Seattle. And it, it obviously isn't surprising Jerry DePote or anybody in that organization. But when they made this deal last year, Taylor Williams to San Diego for Matt Brash, I asked around. I hadn't seen Brash. I hadn't talked about him since the draft a couple of years before. And what I got was, yeah, that guy's a reliever. I got that from everybody. I didn't get anybody saying, oh, really like the arm. I didn't get anybody that was optimistic whatsoever. And I usually try to get something from five to ten scouts that have seen the guy. Um, And what he's done this year is – uh, pretty special, uh, and not just the numbers, but the stuff. Uh, I mentioned his fastball uh, a minute ago. I mean, we're talking about a guy who down here was 93 to 97, touching 98, even 99, I think, a couple of times. He's living at 95-plus right now in double-A. Wow. His final fastball in two starts ago uh, for Arkansas, his final fastball was 97 miles an hour. It was like pitch 80. Six oh or eighty-four gosh. or something like that. So they're really big. and he's not a big guy. Six, yeah. six, one, hundred ninety pounds maybe, but athletic. Uh, he's really cleaned up his delivery since uh, 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 since uh, pre-draft, and has given himself a great opportunity. So while there's some risk there w- with the profile, you know, because he's not big, because you know he's got two breaking balls, uh, the changeups behind everything else. It's probably a thirty-five or forty grade changeup at this point, but terrific arm speed. Obviously, terrific arm strength. The slider is. His fastball and his slider are two of the three or four best pitches in the entire system right now, including the big leagues. Okay. So lots to like there. It'd be really interesting to see what happens with him next year. Do they start him off in Tacoma? I'm also curious, and Brash is a, is a good uh, name to, to kind of branch off of it with. I'm curious to see if Seattle starts off some of their guys like Brash, like Williamson, like Stout. Not Kirby and Hancock, and obviously not Gilbert. But I'm curious about the others. If they just – let's start them off in the bullpen. 
there is value to that, and I've always believed in that. Kurt Schilling did that early in his career, True. started off in the bullpen. Johan Santana did that with Minnesota, started off in the bullpen. We're seeing uh, teams start to try different things. Uh, not everything's conventional. And I'm just curious if, hey, you know what? There's not a lot of room for Matt Brash in the rotation right now. We're worried about the workload a little bit anyway for 2022. If he shoves his way into the big leagues next year and there's not necessarily room in the rotation, let him go down and pitch three innings, two or three innings at a time, kind of Chris Davinsky style out of the bullpen for the rest of the year. I mean, if he's sitting 95 to 98 as a starter, is he going to be 97 to 100 plus as a reliever? Maybe. But even if he's just 95 to 98, sharp slider, curveball, I mean, he could be dominant out of the bullpen as well. And then – keep his future as a starter in mind as you work him through 2022 he might start the year in, in double a might start the year in triple a heck maybe he starts the year in the mariners bullpen I, I don't know i can't tell you with a lot of certainty right now that that's not something the mariners are considering i, I was asked the other day a question on, on baseball things hey if you could pick one reliever one starter and one uh one bat to sign in free agency um, who would you pick? And with the Mariners in mind, the reliever I picked was like a guy like Craig Stammen. I didn't want to spend money That's on right. relievers. I was like, they're, they're in a pretty good spot right now. And even considering the volatility of relievers and bullpens in general, Justin Dunn, Justice Sheffield probably end up in the bullpen next year. Uh, and then these other guys, the Brandon Williamsons and the Matt Brashes and the Levi Stouts of the world, who might be relievers anyway, at least early in their careers as you're trying to win – is that the best way? Is, is that the best team you can put together to put Williamson and Stout and Brash in your bullpen and just – it might be. I mean, think about that bullpen if those guys are throwing strikes with their raw stuff and add that to what they already have. Absolutely. And, and that's not even assuming you get anything from Giles or Munoz. That's kind of a bonus at this point. You could yeah. have the best bullpen in baseball next year without adding a single thing to it from here until – you know, the start of the season, I, they're in really good shape, and I'm just wondering how those young arms fit into it. I think Hancock and Kirby, on the other hand, are starters, period, always and forever. I think they will get to the big leagues as starters. I think they'll spend, you know, at least the first halves of their careers as starting pitchers, and then we'll kind of see what happens from there. Okay. Well, you got me excited, Jerry. Brash is fun, man. <laughs> <laughs> they need to let you talk to Jerry DePoto. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I would, uh, I would ping Jerry with so many questions he wouldn't like. <laughs> Tough. So it would be very, very dangerous. I mean, it's not that I would be rude, but I would just yeah. ask a lot of questions that he would rather not answer. I know that for a fact, <laughs> which is fair. It's fair. Fair enough. Um, a few other players, I'm going to ask your opinion real quick. Uh, Patrick Frick. Yeah, I like him. He, he's another fun development this year, and, he, and he's starting to hit a little bit in 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 Double A. There's not a lot of power there, but uh, we're starting to see some average. He's starting to draw walks. He was a little old for the high A league, um, but he's done nothing but perform since he's been drafted. Um, I think he's probably a fringe average to average shortstop, can play third. I saw him play third in Tri-Cities, can obviously play second a little bit. Uh, I'm curious if playing the outfield a little bit isn't in his future next year at least to give him a a shot. He's kind of one of those fringe prospects who might show up and and be like a right-handed Jake Fraley or something like that. Um, A guy that I compared him to was Whit Merrifield. Merrifield didn't get to the big leagues until he was like 26, 27 years old, and he was pretty much good right away. Well, Patrick Frick has three years to get there, and he's in double A right now. And athletically, they're fairly similar. Merrifield's a lot quicker, but uh, in terms of positions that that their their tools, their physical skills suggest they might be able to play, 
you know, Frick shortstop still on the table a little bit, second base, third base. See if he can handle it in the outfield. Give him an opportunity. I think Whit Merrifield's a pretty decent comp for Patrick Frick. I like him quite a bit. He doesn't strike out much, uh, uh, draws enough walks. There's just enough power there to, to project moving forward, and, and he's obviously gotten better uh, despite the fact that there was no season last year. Nice. Nice to hear. Uh, Bobby Honeyman's a favorite of mine. I know he's a fringe prospect, but what's your thoughts? He was great here back in, was that 19? Or eight, 18, 18, yeah. 18? Yeah, he was really good here. Uh, he's a little bit like uh, uh, Eric Falia okay. uh, to, to some extent, where you don't really know where he plays ultimately, which means he doesn't have a position. He doesn't have a full-time position because if, if he hit enough, you'd be like, it doesn't matter where he plays instead of I don't know where he plays. Yeah, uh, We've seen him a little at second. He might even play shortstop a little bit. We've seen him at third. And I think he's played a little bit of outfield, if I'm not mistaken. But he's a pretty decent athlete, bat-to-ball guy. Um, he doesn't rank for me. Um, but that doesn't mean that, you know, hey, we can't look up in a couple of years. And, again, he's that 25, 26, 27-year-old guy, you know, the Patrick Wisdoms of the world now, what he's doing with the Cubs. Those guys, you just never know when it's going to click for somebody. And because he has the hand-eye coordination, a pretty decent swing, line drive swing, and contact is what he's after, hard contact is what he's after, he's got a shot. He's always going to have a shot because another guy that just doesn't – he doesn't have Honeyman's tools – quite is Jordan Cowan who spent a lot of time here he's the local kid yeah like every time you look up this guy's hitting 280 somewhere and I know batting average isn't the best way to go but it tells us a little something about a young player that you send Cowan to AAA when he's 21 to fill in because they're missing a guy and he hits 280 he goes back down to a ball and he hits 320 and then he goes to double a to fill in for somebody and he hits 305 or 292 or 276 you know what i mean like everywhere he goes he hits for average to like go wait who is this guy and what does he do what else does he do so he's a guy who he would be a really fun story if he ever got to the big leagues even for just a day that would be kind of a a moonlight gram sort of a story especially in the mariners organization you get the local kid Nobody talks about him. Even that clown Jason Churchill never talks about Jordan <laughs> Cowan because he's he's the common man, right? Yep, yep. Like there's nothing that really stands out except you look at the box score and he's one for three or one for four or two for five every single day. He doesn't strike out a ton and he has been 280 everywhere he goes. So I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't close the book on him being something at some point at the big league level. I mean, isn't that Willie Bloomquist, to be honest with you? Yeah. And Bloomquist yeah, had yeah. a couple of years. Bloomquist made a lot of money in Major League yes, Baseball, man, you know? So uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Jordan Cowan as well with uh, with Bobby Honeyman. They're kind of similar in that manner. Okay. How about Ray Kerr? Uh, I'm a Kerr fan. Um, you got to like the fastball into triple digits. Uh, the slider flashes plus, but it's, it's pretty consistently at least average. Uh, he's eliminating mistakes with it this year, which is important. Uh, he's very athletic. He does have a history of starting. I uh, started a lot of games in high A a couple of years back. Uh, I'm a fan, and he's one of the guys that I wanted to see. We're not going to, but I wanted to see him at the big league level this year. But with the 28-man limit now in yeah. September, there's just no room for that, unless they have a bunch of injuries. There's just no room for that. We're going to see Lewis come back. We're going to see uh, Dunn and Sheffield come back. We're going to probably see Marmalejos come back to some extent. There's just not. There's just no room for a guy like uh, guy like Ray Kerr, but – you know, when you're 95, easy 95, into triple digits when you're really feeling it, with a slider that flashes plus, I mean, you got a shot to have some success at the big league level, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we'll see him in the big leagues to some extent next year. He's their best pure left-handed reliever. Okay. Uh, Aaron Fletcher in Tacoma's really struggled with control and command, so Kerr has passed him. 
on that okay. list, at least for me. Okay, and last but not least, Connor Phillips. Yeah, he's a fun one too. Uh, had his best outing his his last time out with the uh, with the twelve strikeouts. Uh, good athlete, and I think that's important because he's got some delivery inconsistencies. And when you're athletic, you have a better shot of fixing those. Uh, the team is obviously aware of it, but he's got two breaking balls. Uh, I love the slider. I think the, the curveball, I hope they don't ditch the curveball because there have been times where you see an average or better curveball. And the curveball is such a unique pitch. If you can throw it for strikes, you've seen what Marco Gonzalez can do with it. Yep. I don't know how much he threw it today, but if you have that pitch to throw as a lefty to right-handed batters or as a righty to left-handed batters, it's usually a pitch they're just going to watch it early mm-hmm. in count. You can steal strikes with it. It's so important. And one thing that I push a lot is when you're 1-0 and you don't come back with strike one to even the count, you are in trouble. And if you are a young pitcher who doesn't command everything yet anyway, you are in big, big effing trouble. <laughs> if you go 1-0 and then 2-0 on a regular basis. And we've seen Phillips battle that a little bit. Yep. But when you just look at raw stuff and the, uh, and the arm speed and the arm strength and, and the athleticism, there's a lot to like there. Connor oh, Phillips, yeah. Okay. I have him ranked high. Yeah, he's – Borderline top ten for me. Will we see him up here this year, or wait till next year? Another good question. Phillips and Mako, um, they've taken it easy with those guys. Okay. Again, it's been very Kirby Hancock like with uh, with both of those guys, especially Mako. Um, but they're back throwing now. They're back pitching now. Um, it it might be this season for those guys. Might just be about let's just make sure we get you controlled innings. And the easiest way to do that is to do that in Modesto. Let's not uproot you for three weeks or a month. So that, that's entirely plausible, and I would completely understand that plan if that's the, the route they went. Okay. Um, and we're going to jump to the Mariners. I, we've all heard you talk about the Kendall Graveman trade on Twitter, but <laughs> since I get, we're, we're here in person, I'd like to hear your thoughts about the Kendall Graveman trade, uh, <laughs> if, if you don't mind. Yeah, no problem. Um, it was a very, very good trade by the Seattle Mariners. I know most people disagree with that. Uh, most fans, I would say, disagree with that. But a point I made last night to somebody is probably one I should bring back up again here. When you look – because what everybody wanted the Mariners to do was buy, buy, buy. And the Graveman trade by itself, understandably, told the players and therefore even the fan base, we're selling. Like, totally understand the players' reaction. You're trading a guy we really liked – a friend of ours, a guy that was pitching really well for us, and we're selling, and we're getting a guy that we don't know. And at that point, that was the only deal they'd made, and the players and, and fans at that point didn't know about the Castillo deal. They didn't know about the Tyler Anderson deal. They, they didn't know about those deals. So totally understand the initial reaction. But when you learn about Toro, and just to stay on the Graveman trade, you know, you, you look – those fans, are they're never going to admit it. The media and the fans that jumped on the Mariners case, they're never, ever, ever going to admit it, most of them. But you're going to look back on that trade in a year and think, wow, okay. Okay, I'm feeling this now. Mm -hmm. I'm really feeling this now. If you're not already because the guy is the best player on your team right now, because Abraham Toro, I'm telling you guys, is the best player on this Mariners. It's not Mitch Hanniger. It is not Kyle Seager. It is not J.P. Crawford. It is Abraham Toro. So they have had the best player on their team for two weeks. That tells you a lot about that baseball team prior to the deadline, right? Oh, yeah. Not very good. Yeah, Not good very good. <laughs> now, what everybody wants to point to is you traded your best reliever, which they did not. They, you traded a very good reliever. 
probably your second-best reliever, maybe your third-best reliever, but I'll give you second-best reliever. You replaced him with a guy who had been at least as good, who hasn't pitched as well since, and now the hindsight kicks in and everybody's, you know, CCC, see what I'm talking about, see what I'm talking about. While I understand that, it's rubbish, right? Mm -hmm. So you look at the rest of that deal. You get Graveman for two months. And one of the arguments I heard was, yeah, but you could just resign him at the end of the year. Let me ask you guys. Matt, Brian, Kendall Graveman is still a free agent at the end of the year, is he not? Correct. Are the Mariners required to ignore him in free agency because they traded him? No. Did they did they alienate him by trading him to a team that definitely was going to the playoffs and might have a chance to go to him and win the world? Did they alienate Kendall Graveman? Of course they didn't. Yeah. Of course. Was he sad to leave? Of course he was. Were they sad to see him go? Of course it was. Draw the line right there and look at the rest of it from a baseball standpoint. If the Mariners want Kendall Graveman, they can go out and give him the free agent dollars that it takes to sign him. Because now he's earned himself multiple years guaranteed. And what I just say a little bit ago, I don't think the Mariners need to do that. I don't think they should do that this winter to go out and get a multi-year. I don't think there's, they have any business doing that. Use that money on bats, on starting pitching. Fill out your roster, improve your roster, raise the floor, raise the ceiling. Okay. If they keep Graveman and they don't get Castillo, they actually have to go out and get a guy like that. And maybe it's just a one-year guy. Maybe it's Graveman. Maybe it's Craig Stammen. Maybe it's Familia. Maybe it's somebody else. But that's another thing on their list that they have to go do. So they essentially, with, with that trade and with the other trades, they essentially went – pretty much sideways in the bullpen because at the time they had just got Swanson back. They just got Casey Sadler back and they knew that. So they were okay trading away uh, Chargois and Joe Smith has actually been pretty good so far. Yeah, he has. So they essentially went sideways in that deal in the bullpen, but the lineup got better and the Tyler Anderson acquisition made the rotation better. So when you look at it as a whole, I mean, those are three wins. When you look at the Graveman deal, it was mostly for the future. And I think that's what ticks most people off. Why didn't you do more for this year's team? And the conversation I had last night with one of my followers on Twitter was, if you go back and look at the 2015-2016 Houston Astros teams, they were fringe contenders at the deadline. In 15, they were kind of sort of aggressive, but they were aggressive on the future. They traded a little bit of their farm, but they got long-term potential long-term answers in return. In 16, though, which is the year before they won the World Series, in 16, they hardly did anything at the deadline. They were sell deals. I think they traded Scott Feldman. Uh, I think they traded Josh Fields yeah. at the deadline that year. They weren't buying into this, this idea that they were four games back or two and a half games back with two teams. They weren't buying it at all. What, what that restraint did for them, because if they go out on the market and they trade their ninth best prospect and their 16th best prospect for like two months of a good third baseman because Bregman wasn't, you know, they, they go out and do that for, a, uh, you know, two months of a, a good left fielder or a good, you know, mid-rotation or whatever it is. And they go do those things. Now, all of a sudden, they have two, three, four, five, six of those prospects left, the Austin Shenton types. Now what happens when they go to try to make the Justin Verlander deal, the deal for Garrett Cole, those two deals especially? It's a little harder now. Mm-hmm. And maybe they don't get one of those guys, right? Yep. Where would their where would the last five years have gone if they didn't have both of those guys? Like if they don't get Verlander and they get Cole, do they win that World Series? If they don't get Cole and they get Verlander, are they as good as they were, you know, between seventeen and now? I mean, obviously Cole's gone now and Verlander's been out, but 
Like, if that makes a significant difference, that was the Astros' biggest advantage all season long, and especially once they got into the playoffs, was the fact that they had two legitimate aces, not number ones. They had two of, like, the eight aces in Major League Baseball in one rotation. And if Verlander didn't win, Cole was going to. If Cole didn't win, Verlander was. You were never going to be anything but one and one after the first two games of a series, and you were probably going to be 2-0 and because you had an offense as well. Yep. By refraining from making those small deals. I had a guy tell me last night they should have gone for Chris Bryant. Okay, here's the thing. Where are you going to play him? You're not playing him at third because then you're pulling Kyle Seager out of the lineup. And if you play him in left field, you're pulling Jared Kelnick out of the lineup. And what does that do to Jared Kelnick for the rest of the year? It either sends him back to Tacoma, puts him in a bench roll, or a combination of the two. What does that do to Jared Kelnick's timeline to becoming an everyday player, to performing like an everyday player? You take away two months. We just talked about the fact there was no 2020. We talked about guys getting hurt. We've talked about guys um, struggling or getting traded, things that get uh, that kind of distract a player from his development track. You want to distract a guy, a 22-year-old kid, just turned 22-year-old kid like Kelnick, send him back to Tacoma before it was time to send him back to Tacoma. And that's exactly what that would have done. It would have sent a guy like Kelnick back to Tacoma. Now – if we would have known at the time that Lewis wasn't going to be back by the middle of August, maybe you make a smaller deal. You probably don't make the Bryant deal, but maybe you make a smaller deal for an outfielder like Adam Duvall okay. and stick out there in the outfield where you're not really worried too much about, like, like Chris Bryant's a bat you have to have in the lineup every single day. He's that good. Adam Duvall, maybe you just play him mostly against lefties. You know, maybe he starts in left field instead of Dylan Moore, right? Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a pretty big upgrade. Like, maybe you could do something like that. Maybe you could justify – something like that. But going out and trading for Chris Bryant, and uh, I had somebody tell me the other day they should have gone for Rizzo and just used him at, at DH. It was a fairly expensive deal for two months of Rizzo, who wasn't having a great year. True. Right? And who now is out. You know, yeah. he just spent a bunch of time. I don't know if he's back yet, but had to spend time out with – I mean, that's just like you have to look at this from all angles. And when your chances to make the postseason, even before – the Graveman deal were so significantly low because of the competition around you. You have to measure these deals out and weigh the risk and reward. And when the reward this season is a one-game playoff at Tampa or at Boston where you're not going to have the better starting pitcher and you're not going to have the better lineup no matter what you did at the deadline, is that payoff worth like three or four more Austin Shenton's? Uh, it's not. No, it's not. Because because ne- what happens next year and the year after and the year after when the Mariners are in a better position? Now all of a sudden they're the Giants or they're the Astros, and they have a significantly better shot to win the wild card. Or they have a shot to win the division, and you want Jerry to go out and fill this hole, this hole, and this hole, but they can only fill one of those three or two of those three because of what they did in 2021. Like that's why you don't do that. That's what allowed the Astros to do that. Uh, refraining from that is what's allowing the White Sox to go trade balls to the wall at Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell for one year and two months because they refrained from that last year and the year before and the year before. They didn't go nuts when their chances weren't great to get to the postseason and do damage. Now they can maximize their best opportunities. That's what Jerry DePoto did at the deadline. Okay. Well, you convinced me. We had a discussion about that during the trade deadline after it happened, and Matt totally supported what you just said and we were against it. You were on the other side. I was on the other side. So let me ask you a question. No, it's fair. Well, let me ask you a question. How much was team chemistry and clubhouse leadership a part of your side of this? Uh, a majority of it. So, so the problem with that is you can't measure that. Correct. You can't. 
maybe it means everything. Maybe it means nothing, but it's probably somewhere in between, right? Yep. If that – here's my argument completely against it. If trading a reliever, okay, mm-hmm. we didn't – they didn't just trade Derek Jeter or Jason Veritek, <laughs> True, right? They didn't yeah. trade Captain Kendall Graveman, okay? Yep. They traded a reliever for one who was rarely available on back-to-back days, who – basically alienated the club by refusing to get vaccinated and then having to sit out for what a month that's right right yep. and, and obviously he was not the only one but that happened yep. and he's the guy that was traded if losing that player in trade is enough to shake that clubhouse so much that they were going to lose eight out of their next 12 how good was that team and how strong was that clubhouse to begin with how strong was that team chemistry to begin with because isn't that what team chemistry is yep isn't that what clubhouse leadership is? If you had one leader and he was a reliever, a guy that wouldn't get vaccinated, who had to sit out because of it, I mean, come on. Like, there, there, there's hardly an argument for the value of that outweighing the value of making a baseball deal that they did. You know, it, it's, it, it's crazy. Now, the people that really tick me off are the ones that say if they wouldn't have traded Graveman – they would have done X. They might have lost eight of twelve anyway. It might have looked different. True. Or they might have gone six and six in those twelve games. Yeah. Or it's possible they might have gone eight and four. We don't know that, right? Correct. Yep. Right. But the bullpen as a whole has actually been better since the trade than before the trade. So there were a couple of key situations where it was tough, tough to see, and where you're looking at that and you're like, hey, would would Graveman have pitched better than Castillo here? Probably. He probably would have, right? Like, it's fair to say that, but it's also fair to say now you don't need to touch your bullpen for the next three years, and now you have your probably third baseman, but second or third baseman for the next four years for dirt cheap, by the way. Another spot on your roster you don't have to address over the offseason with money or big talent. That that trade is a win-win-win all day, twice on game day. And it's only going to get better and better and better as it goes. And you've seen Toro perform, and he's, yeah. he's obviously not going to hit 370 for his whole life. But he makes. You've seen his contact rates. I mean, this is a guy who's striking out like 10 percent of the time. He struck out today, and I was surprised. He struck out on Thursday, and I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> he swung through a ball because his swinging strike rate is low as well. It's like 8 percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he walks nine or 10 percent of the time. Hits a lot of balls hard. Switch hitter. I think he's passable at second, but he's going to end up at third. He's going to replace Kyle Seager next year at third base, and the Mariners are going to go hard after Marcus Semien. I like that. I like that. That's another way to look at yeah. this deal is that they were setting themselves up for that rather than necessarily leaving Toro at second base. But that is also an option that gives them flexibility. Yeah. Like if Semien says, nah, I want to stay in Toronto, even though Seattle is offering me more money, Seattle could go, maybe we can go trade for Jose Ramirez, or maybe we can go short-term on, a, on somebody else and find some offense and do something different with the DH than we initially planned because Jerry doesn't really love the idea of having a pure DH. But you can go get another outfielder and just mix them into the rotation because Hanager belongs to DH anyway, yeah. and you're fine. You know, I was talking last night to a friend. What would an offseason of you go get your impact starter, whoever that might be, whether it's Kevin Gossman in free agency or they find a way for Miami to part with the Pablo Lopez or a Sandy Alcantara, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you dearly, yep. but you, you, sometimes you just have to. That's In a way, that's what the farm system's for. And if you do that and you get three years of a guy like that, you might just have to pull the trigger on Marte and Hancock or something like that. You might you might have no choice, right? You're trying to win at the major league level, yep. not necessarily build a farm system forever. So if you do that, however you get your starter, if you go Marcus Simeon, and how about going with a guy like Charlie Blackman? Okay. 
probably get him on a one-year deal. Okay. Hasn't had a great year, but it's had a pretty solid year. Puts the ball in play a lot, hits a lot of line drives. While he's definitely not a center fielder and really never was, he's fringy and right. But if you put him out there with Hanniger, they can kind of do the whole right field DH and maybe Blackman can even play first base if you ask him to. Um, and, and there are other guys like that. I mean, Adam Duvall will be back out on the market. He's a free agent. Where you can go get somebody who's not necessarily an everyday guy or not necessarily the DH all the time, but somebody else that can play a position particularly in the outfield. And what else that does for you? If you go get a Blackman or a Duvall, it protects you in case Kelnick struggles. And I know he's been better lately. We just don't know exactly what that's going to look like. They hope that he's turned a corner. He certainly looks better, right? Significantly better. He looks like a player now. He looks like a hitter now, right? Yeah. What do they like to say on, on the – he looks hitterish now, right? <laughs> yeah. Like before he was like – he's just a swinger, right? Now yep. he's like seeing the ball and think things are working better. But we don't know what it's like in June of next year what that's going to look like, right? And if you ha- and we don't know what Fraley. We, we don't have a large enough sample on Jake Fraley, too. And I know he, he got off the schneid on Thursday, too, hitting the home run. But he's struggled since he's been back. We don't know what that's going to look like. His sample this year was like 150 plate appearances. So how about you, you're going to have Lewis, and, and you hope that he's healthy, and you're going to have Hanniger, and you know Julio's on the way, and you know Kelnick is there, but you don't know what you're going to get necessarily out of Julio. You don't know what you're going to get out of Jared Kelnick. And Kyle Lewis's injuries have to worry you just a little bit, right? Yep. And I, I still think there's some risk in performance with Kyle Lewis. We don't know what the performance really is going to look like either. I feel comfortable enough just saying he's one of your three outfielders next year. But how about doing something with a veteran that helps cover your, you know That's what, a, a little idea. bit? Yep. And if you do that with a veteran who isn't 48, you know, you do it with a guy who's in his mid-30s. Uh, I think Blackman's hitting like 275 with a good on-base percentage and a mid-400s slugging percentage. Doesn't have significant home road splits. And, yes, he's left-handed, but if in this scenario you've already added a right hand inning second baseman in Semyon, and you've added a switch hitter who's actually better from the right side in Toro at third base, so the handedness thing doesn't really matter that much here. Yeah. Uh, and it really never did. I don't know why Jerry was all over that <laughs> as aggressively as he was. But you can do something like have a really good offseason. Imagine adding a number two starter, Charlie Blackman and Marcus Semyon. Like if they did that and nothing else, if this town's not buying tickets to see that team yeah. – you just don't like baseball. You don't like baseball. But the key to all of that, the key to all of that is getting that pitcher and probably getting that pitcher early. Because one of the ways you're going to get Marcus Simeon to pick you, if indeed that, that, is, a, that is even a remote possibility, because I don't know if it is, is by showing Simeon that your team is legit. True. Because the way it looks right now, you're just an average team. You know, uh, Toronto gave him the best offer. Toronto's in a really good spot now. They're going to be looking good. So th- they have to be the favorites to resign him at this point. Right. But, you know, what's he, 30 years old? If it takes five years to get him, maybe you say no. But if you can overpay him for four years and go 4 and 90 to 100 to get him, it might be worth it. And this team has to do some things. They're going to have to take some risk, and it's going to be on mid-range deals like that. They're going to have a really fun offseason. But uh, they're more than one bat away. I think it's important. Uh, when we look at the addition of the bat – of Abraham Toro right now, that's in addition to Kyle Seeger. Next year, if Toro's playing third base, Toro replaces Kyle Seeger. So now you, not only do you need to replace Seeger, but you need something else in your lineup besides the kids yeah. to tell everybody else we're going to be able to hit. Our lineup is in much better shape. Right now, it's tough to see that, but once the offseason hits, we're going to see that develop. I think Jerry strikes – pretty aggressively and pretty early despite the fact that the CBA expires on December 1st. I think he's going to get out early 
either make a big free agent signing or a big trade or both in November, very, very early in the process. You brought up in your podcast, Baseball Things, Chris Taylor. Is that a possibility? I think it should be. I don't know if it is or not. I think it should be. He's a little older. Uh, his performance does worry me a little bit, pulling him out of an elite lineup like that. Yeah. Uh, he's batting first, second, sixth, seventh a lot. I mean, he's even batted third in cleanup before. A lot of good hitters surrounding him. I mean, that's it's been the best lineup in baseball the last three years combined. And now Cody Bellinger's starting to hit again, so now it's, it's kind of back. Betts will be back. Like, that's a really good lineup. He's having a career year for like the third time in five years this year. I don't know that I buy the power outside that lineup, but he should be some semblance of an option. I'm not giving him four and 90, yeah. but four and 60. Yeah. I think he's worth that. Okay. I think he's worth that. He's going to age. Okay. Into his 33, 34, you know, 35 years old. He's going to be okay there. And the fact that he could play second, he can play left. He can play center. He can play short in a pinch. He can play third. I think there's a lot of value to that as well. Okay. I'd like to hear that. So it sounds like you already believe that DePoto is going to be back, and do you believe Service will be back? I do. Uh, short leashes, or, or do you think they get – I think those guys are always on short leashes, okay. to be honest with you. I think during the rebuild, which has only been going on for two and a half years now, almost three years now, during the rebuild you expect it to be a little longer because you want to got to give them time to, to kind of show where the rebuild is headed. Um, but GMs and, like, everybody's worried about, oh, you can't give him a three-year deal. Why not? If that's what it takes to keep Jerry DePoto here, give him a three-year deal, and if it's not working in the middle of year two, you fire him and you pay him the $3 million you owe him. It's not like it's not like signing a four-year, $25 million a year free agent, and two years in you're like, uh-oh, he's yeah. terrible, and you owe him $50 million. A GM doesn't make that kind of money. I don't know what people are worried about. Managers don't make that kind of money. I think they'll probably be on two-year, two-year deals, I would think. Um, because what you don't want is, especially now moving forward, the farm system's really good. You have some good young talent that's at the major league level right now. What you don't want to do is put Jerry DePoto in a situation to do what Bill Bavese and Jackson Renzik did, which is make significant deals for short-term gain to save your job. As soon as your general manager's in a spot where if he makes those kinds of deals, you'd fire him, you fire him at you fire him at, at that point right away. You fire him. if you think Jerry Depoto is in that spot now. If you're John Stan and the leaders in that organization, if you think that's where Depoto is now, you fire him right now. You don't renew him. You get him out of it right today. But I also think if he wasn't going to be back next year, you don't let him handle the draft, and you definitely don't let him handle the trade deadline. You would have you'd have tried to get somebody else in there, whether it be Hollander, who's a Depoto guy or you bring in somebody else, or whatever it is, you don't let him ha- – those are two extremely important pieces of your present and future, the draft and the trade deadline. If DePoto's not your guy, you don't let him do that. You make the move during the season and don't just wait for his contract to end up. When you look at GMs leaving, usually they get fired when they leave, I mean, or they resign like DePoto did or like uh, like Bridich did in, yeah. uh, uh, in Colorado, but – when they leave because the team didn't want them back, they get fired during the season, and that's why. Okay. If he's not your guy, it's kind of the whole Bo Schembechler thing with the with the basketball team back in. Uh, oh yeah. You know, back in the '80s when when uh, they lost their coach, and I'm I'm trying to think of the coach that went to Arizona State. Oh my. Their head coach. Yeah. This, this is in the this is in 1989, mm-hmm. and the Michigan coach left to go to Arizona State, and Steve Fisher took over. 
And the reason they weren't going to let their coach finish the season, like he was going to finish the season, is because Shem Beckler, who was the athletic director at the time, said, we're not going to have an Arizona State guy run the Michigan basketball team. We're going to have a Michigan guy run the Michigan basketball team. Same thing. It's the yeah. same idea. If this isn't your guy, then he's not your guy. Get him out yesterday, right? It's almost like I used this with uh, with my kids several years back when uh, when Jack was let go uh, during the 15 season. I said, why not just let him go the rest of the season? I'm like, look, if you decide that your friend isn't your friend anymore, are you just going to wait till the end of the summer? <laughs> no, you're out. You're out immediately. You're like, no, you're not my friend anymore. You're not the guy. You know, in any other job, you know, if uh, the guy delivering Pepsi to the Safeway, if you're just sure, like he's like, he keeps making mistakes, we can't do this. He's gone right now, right? You're not like, well, let's just wait till the end. Of the-. No, out. You do that with GMs, and, and it's even more important in such a high-profile situation. So, those uh, those are signs. The fact that he's still here, was allowed to handle the draft, was allowed to handle the deadline, and because of the things that Jerry Depoto has said publicly on his podcast. Uh, on the affiliate station um, about spending money, that he is confident they're going to spend some money. You don't tell that to a guy you're not bringing back. I think the deal is already done. I think the agreement in principle has been done for more than a month. Okay. That, that's the feeling I get. I'm not getting th- those exact words from anybody, but I'm getting, like, this isn't a thing. That, that's kind of what I'm getting from, from people in the uh, – uh, within the club. So I think he's back. They probably won't announce for how long, but if uh, if DePoto's back, Service is back at least in some capacity. I think Service did a pretty good job this year. Fair enough. Um, I have a million questions for you, but we're going to wrap it up here. But I do have one last question. Mariners draft, tell me one draft pick, not, not the first round pick, obviously, but who, who stands out to you that we should, we should, Matt and I should be looking at? You know, I really like uh, the kid from Texas A&M. And we're not really talking about it. Everybody's talking about Arroyo, the second rounder, and Morales, the third rounder. But they went and got a kid who was a reliever for two years, was sitting 93 to 97, held his velocity in his transition to a starter, is athletic. He's like 6'2", 180 pounds. There's projection there. Uh, it's a pretty good breaking ball. Uh, I like him. I think that's the guy that maybe doesn't stand out the most because I think the best players – are the first three picks in some order. But I think he's the one that, that people might talk about in a couple of years, be like, hey, we didn't really think about it. Kind of like Kyle Seeger was as a third-round pick in 09 because everybody was talking about uh, Dustin Ackley and, and, and Nick Franklin and even Steve Barron because he was technically oh, yeah. a first-round pick at 33 overall that year. And Seeger ended up being the, the best player in that, that entire draft for the Mariners, obviously. I, I think I, I think Miller could end up being that guy. Uh, you go back and you look, there's not a lot of video available on him, but if you go back, you can find some video on YouTube of him throwing it. And man, it just, he looks like a stud. You okay. just look at him and you're just like, in two years, he's going to be 200 pounds and the delivery's really clean. The arm action's really clean. Uh, he gets over the front side really easy. He dips his shoulder just a little bit. He throws, I mean, I just like, I like it. Maybe he's only a reliever at the end of the day because of a lack of pitches, but there's a lot to build on here. So I think he's probably my favorite guy. I think the most interesting guy in terms of, I want to see how this kid develops is Morales, the third rounder. It's because all the reports on him through like March and early April were 89 to 91, average breaking ball, a little bit of a feel for a changeup. That's not a third round pick. And they gave him basically comp round money yeah. to sign. So uh-huh. really interested to see him throw 
and to get new radar readings on him and to get uh, some video on him just to kind of see if something's changed. I wouldn't call him a great athlete. He's a good athlete. He kind of reminds me of uh, – he's a little bit like Marco Gonzalez, okay. I think, athletically. Um, but Morales is a bigger guy, a little bit bigger guy. But there's enough athleticism there where like, he's going to repeat that delivery. He's going to throw strikes. And this is going to be about developing pitches and adding just a little bit of velocity. Because if you can sit 93, 94 with that kind of command, you're going to turn into kind of a – you know, kind of a George Kirby kind of a guy. Not with that kind of gas, yeah. but that pick reminded me of the Kirby pick in a lot of ways because you think you can add velocity to that, and that's why the Mariners went for Kirby. Even though Kirby in, in college was – he had touched 95, but he was mostly 90 and 93, and they just knew with that frame they were going to be able to build velocity. And I think with Morales, they know that too. Outstanding. I'm excited. for This team's looking good for the future. I, I lied. I do have one more quick question. Because you mentioned you watch high schools. Um, you're, I'm assuming you're familiar with Malachi Knight. Mm-hmm. We interviewed him last week. Uh, what are your thoughts? He's a likable kid, isn't he? Yeah, very, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, really, really good athlete. I, I think my favorite thing about him is he was entirely okay through this whole process saying no to professional baseball and hundreds of thousands and maybe even, you know, a million dollars to go to school to get better. He wasn't afraid of that. And that's an important you know, part of the process uh, for kids coming out of high school. But I think my favorite thing about him is his present strength. We talk about quickness and bat speed and things like that, but a lot of times high school kids, they get to college or they, they get to pro ball especially, and the pro team has to go, boy, we need to, you need to eat more protein. We need to get you in the weight room. Like, he's already doing that, and you're already seeing some of the results of that because Absolutely. he started doing it five years ago. Um so, yeah, I think he's got a shot to stick in center field. I think he got a shot to hit 20 home runs. We'll see how the hit tool develops, but he went to a good spot. Um, UCLA, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I don't typically love pitchers at UCLA um, because Savage is kind of hard on pitchers sometimes. Um, I've been told it's changed a little bit, but I'm still not seeing it. But with hitters, you're going to go there and be surrounded by good coaches, uh, good influences, other good hitters, other good players. And he'll be well-rounded when he comes out of the draft again in uh, in three years. So, uh, good player, still has a chance to be a first-rounder. I mean, when you're looking ahead to that draft, he's one of those guys you have to think could be a first-rounder. And I don't think he left a whole lot of money on the table. I don't. I think at okay. worst he's, he's a third or fourth-rounder again, at worst. Like, I think he could struggle his junior year at UCLA and somebody would draft him in the top 120. Okay. Just because of all the tools and what they saw. At the, You know what? You know who would draft him? <laughs> Seattle. Seattle, yeah. Jerry DePoto and that staff, they're very big on, hey, this was the path he was on. Something happened. Can we get him back to here, yeah. even if we have to start over? So, uh, so yeah, I think he's going to have good opportunities. I think he picked a good spot to go to hit. He'll hit. It's going to be fun. Great to hear. I like to hear that. Uh, we have come to the end of our show, but every time the end of our show, we always do a shout-outs just to end it on a positive note, like a shout-out to your wife or a shout-out to so-and-so or happy birthday do you have any shout-outs you'd like to give out? Uh, let's do this. I want to shout-out you guys and all of the other podcasts in the area. I think the podcasts are fun. I think it's a great way to consume uh, baseball content. I think it's the best way to consume baseball content. And I like to encourage people, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking maybe you want to get into podcasting, just make it a yes. Just do it. Listen to Brian and Matt. Uh, it, you listen to to the to the guys now at Locked On, uh, Locked On Mariners that uh, at Control the Zone, True to the Trident on on Twitter. They have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, you get an opportunity uh, to build up your brand, to build up your name, 
to uh, to talk to a lot of interesting people. I'm sure you can attest to that too. Absolutely. Uh, you get those opportunities. You come here to the ballpark and you talk to players and you talk to coaches and you talk to guys in radio and things like that. Uh, they are a lot of fun. And, and anybody out there who's doing a podcast now, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I will come on your podcast for free. I'm not looking to get anything out of it. I don't want to promote my podcast. I'm not looking to do that either. Let's just talk some baseball. I think it's one of the most fun things in the world to do, and podcasts are the best place to do it. I really, really want, guys, podcasts, at least to 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 some extent, like 20 25%, the conversations that happen on podcasts to replace the conversations to a small extent that happen on social media. Social media is a horrible, horrible place. We all know this. Yeah. <laughs> Let, let's just sit across at a picnic table at Funko Field and have these conversations instead of on Twitter, right? Yep. Like even in groups, we can do this. Like podcasts are the route to do that. So anybody out there who's doing a podcast on the Mariners or football, it doesn't even matter. But if you're doing a baseball podcast, I will come on it for free. If you have questions, I'm sure Brian would be happy to help you out. I'm sure Matt would be happy to help you out. I would be happy to help you out. I've even set a few people up. And, and given them some, uh, uh, sent them some links, some Amazon links for equipment to buy. It doesn't cost that much money. I started out with whatever laptop I had and a $30 Sennheiser headset, plastic headset that I bought off of Amazon. And I still use that when I'm on the road. Nice. And nobody can tell the difference in quality. So <laughs> it doesn't cost a lot of money. I'll help you get set up. Podcasts are fun, man. And, and they're, it's more than just entertainment, too. You get this. I certainly feel this, and you, you guys probably do, too. You feel this sense of like ownership with it, and and that's that's a game changer to me. Like it's not a job, like there's fun in it, and maybe it's hard sometimes. And we talked about my schedule. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's hard sometimes, but if it wasn't fun all the time, I wouldn't do it. And I do it two to three times a week. So I just shout out to everybody doing podcasts. And uh, if if uh, if you're thinking about doing a podcast, turn that maybe into a yes. Do it. I'll help you do it. I will get on Zoom with you and walk you through it if that's what it takes. Um, I, I had help doing that. I had help from Steve Sandmeyer, and I had help from David Zavala, and I've had help from lots. Brian Goldman, uh, who used to be the engineer for the Sonics, you know, okay. trying to figure out how do I do this? You know, I want to do this, and how do I do this? You know, before, like, Zoom kind of came along, you know. It's like you need help. Ask for help, you know. Um, but, yeah, podcast. Listen to podcasts, and if you feel like doing one, get out there and do it, man. Turn the maybe into a yes. There you go. Nice. I like that. Do you care to plug your social media, though? Well, nah. Nah. <laughs> Not really. Have to ask. Yeah, you, can just, you can just search my name. If you want to find me on Twitter, you can just search my name or, you know, something like Right? Like Exactly. Yeah. And he will respond to you guys, so don't get frustrated. I, I respond if you send me uh, whiskey. <laughs> I do respond if you send me whiskey. Send me whiskey. I'll give you an address. Send me whiskey. What kind of whiskey? And I will put you on. You know, it almost doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> um, big Makers guy. I'm big Doc Swinson's guy. I did some work with them last year. Um, not really all that picky with the right whiskey. On. You know, I, I try to stay, you know, low carb with the alcohol, so no beer. But, you know, I'll put you on my personal DMs like, like you guys are, yeah. you know, um, if you send me whiskey. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll remember that. <laughs> uh, quick shout out to me. Well, actually, I have two shout outs. Matt knows I usually shout out to the world, but uh, one to Brian Sloan. We went out to Evergreen Speedway last week, former GM of the Aquasox. He had us as guests and we had a great time. And I've never been to one of those races. They're pretty damn cool to watch. So, And a quick shout out to the Bellingham Bells. They are playing in the playoffs this sa starting Saturday and to Stephanie Morell, their GM. She is a great person. And Go out there and support them, please. Um, 
And we're going to end up end the show. Please follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can hear us. You can hear this wonderful podcast on Podbean, Spotify, or iTunes. Thank you to Jason Churchill again for joining us. We had a great time. Like I said, we could have talked for hours, but maybe next time. We almost did. We almost did. <laughs> have a good night, everybody. Go Frogs. <laughs>